0: Good evening. Oh, hi, mate. How, how are things? Pretty good. I want to discuss something with you about Mr. Elon Musk. Oh, what's he up to now? Well, you tell me first. How do you feel about Elon Musk in general?
1: Oh, I like him. He's um he's having a red hot go, and I think I can appreciate his efforts in space travel and electric cars and whatever else he's been up to. But I like him. He's a bit of a a bit irreverent the way he goes about it, and he's not particularly. I'm not sure if he's self promoting. I compare him to like a Richard Branson type and I've never really liked the way Branson
0: goes about it. So, what's the difference? Why do you like him?
1: I don't know. He's a little bit more mysterious or something maybe. He's a little bit more, Branson in a way just seems like a guy who got lucky whereas Musk kind of seems like a guy who can see a gap in the market or see a potential and just is prepared to back it to the hilt with his own cash and um, whereas Branson I sort of see I'm not sure why I'm comparing to Branson maybe because they both are interested in commercialized space travel but do you know what I mean like the difference
0: I really like Richard Branson I think he is more evolutionary whereas I find Musk more revolutionary yeah so that's a good way to look at it Branson to his credit has done some amazing things the way he reinvented music media consumption the way that he popularized aircraft travel in a fun, irreverent way, the way he basically applied that word virgin that was kind of polarizing and not particularly conservative to lots of very conservative fields like airline travel and so on, I thought was quite interesting. But I think for me, without even knowing his backstory in detail, I find Branson is more about the marketing, whereas I feel Elon Musk has a concept and an idea that may not work But he's absolutely shooting for the stars, literally. And he may sort of like just hit the treetops of the moon, but he's going for it. And his ideas, I think, are inspiring people at large to something bigger than even his actual project of the time. Like Branson Shaw was eventually going towards space travel too. Mm. He was doing it from a tourist point of view, whereas Musk is like sending a rocket to Mars – and when he does it, he's sure he puts like an astronaut in a convertible on the actual rocket and that's all mm. fun. In his convertible. Yeah. But it's not just about tourism, space tourism for a buck. Wasn't like that Branson. actually his own car? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I think it was one of his first cars. Yeah. But he manages to me to be do the great marketing that Branson did, mm. but marries that with vision and technical engineering expertise as well with scientific inventions that are above and beyond, like when Branson moved from selling records to moving into airlines, he didn't reinvent planes. No. He remarketed the way that flight attendants look and the yeah. flamboyant flair of he, advertising. He marketed
1: but- a brand and parlayed that brand into air travel. Over here, it was banks, credit cards, mobile phone deals. I mean, he wasn't inventing or promoting a new
0: way of banking. It was oh, just and that's perfect because- Musk actually made his money literally reinventing the way of banking by starting up, was it X or PayPal? I think it was X. Mm. And then Peter Thiel, I can't, those two guys merged, but he literally reinvented the way we transact money. Mm. Whereas all that Branson did was basically put a paint job on a credit card, mm-hmm. and again, marketed it well, but didn't actually do anything he, fundamentally he, different. He got lucky. When I say he got lucky,
1: he was a record company, and then that's way I understand it. He had a record company, a cool record company, parlayed that into record stores, parlayed that into a cool, virgin, happening, young, vibrant brand, which he then slapped on previously fairly staid consumables such as air travel, mobile phones, and... Credit cards, and he wasn't the first person to try to, you know, funk up banking or funk up mobile phone plans or funk up cola. Yeah, exactly. And as you say, he's more just a marketer and he's able to attract good backers. Like his airline over here has only been able to stay afloat through massive inputs from Singapore and New Zealand, as opposed to a must type who is backing things with his own cash and actually succeeding, it would seem. I mean, the Teslas. I don't know if how much money Tesla actually makes,
0: but you do see a lot of them on the road. They're desirable and he's actually pushing transport in an entirely new direction. The more I think about Branson in this conversation, without saying too harsh, because I think he's made some pretty remarkable achievements and he's inspired other people, which counts for a lot. And that's a very intangible consequence of his entrepreneurial spirit and his achievements. But the more I think about it talking with you, most things he's actually slapped his name onto, not only were they not actually revolution, they were just an evolution or just a case of marketing something pre-existing, but most of them actually have folded or been bought by consortiums and aren't actually owned by him. Like, I'm just thinking about Virgin Mobile, Virgin Planes, Virgin Cola, Mm. Virgin Music. Many of those don't exist anymore at all. Yeah. And flunked. Yeah. He might have made money from them, great, but there's hardly a legacy from his entrepreneurial path.
1: Yeah. Just on that though, I think he he has got a long way with his personality and his his outgoing nature. My old boss that they were at a bar in Sydney might have been Bungalow 8 upstairs, or maybe it was upstairs at Cargo Bar, a sort of more exclusive area of cargo bar for a work function. And and Branson was there with some people from Virgin Airlines and someone at some point must have gone over and said hi to him or something. And then one of the guys who worked with my old boss, who was a fairly staid. Straight down the line solicitor must have said to him something like, oh, you know, I was interested in air travel. I've always been really interested in aeronautics or, you know, I used to dream of being a pilot when I was a kid. And and he gave him his card and said, call me on Monday. Let's talk. I don't think he was saying you can become a trainee pilot on Monday. I think he was saying if you're interested in air travel, I like you. I'll see if we've got anything for you. Which, you know, he could have just gone, oh, good luck with that. See you later, mate. Have a good night. But
0: he actually went, here's my card. Call me. That's pretty cool. That's probably the reason why someone like him has succeeded because they take that time to reach out to people and those stories and carry out there into the community and the legend continues because, yeah. as you say, he's- This is a guy I knew as well. Yeah. yeah, so he's made a success from personality. Yeah. With Musk, I raised him earlier because- Yeah, sorry, we got into the Branson- um, Oh, no, I so- think it was an interesting little segue. Um, so, Musk actually- wants to revolutionise public transport. And I read this article criticising his aspirations because people since the dawn of time have been trying to do this and no one's been able to do it better than the problematic solutions we already have in place. And his idea was to basically create some sort of magnetic looping road around a large city like LA, which cars then go on to in, let's say, groups of 20 linked to each other. So it's travelling... I think it's using magnetism to try and levitate the cars and push them forward at like four times regular speed, so 400 kilometres per hour. Like, They're four what? cars in a row, so it's like a train carriage anyway. So, it's like a train, but because it's a special road, it can't pass through suburbs like a car could. So, it has to go outside the suburbs like a- airports are placed- Which then defeats the entire point because you can't actually penetrate into the suburbs or business district. It's like the ultimate sort of ring road. Pretty much. Yeah. Mm. And so, it was criticised because he's basically describing a version of trains where you sit in your own carriage. But unlike a train which has capacity to carry many people, cars often just carry one traveller. What's the advantage of these things being linked up? I think they are linked up because there's a certain efficiency and propelling 10 to 20 cars at once. chunks.
1: It's a special sort of, like the magnetic, very fast trains. Yeah. It's a similar sort of principle where they sort of hover on above the road.
0: Yeah. And if you saw Black Panther, the latest Marvel film, it's identical technology to that film. Like there's actually an entire action scene set on a railway track just like that. Oh, okay.
1: Interesting. So, look, I think it needs some work. I'd say go back (laughs) to the drawing board, Elon, and come back to me in six months. Totally. (laughs) Totally. Go and workshop that a
0: bit more on the butcher's paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read this article about public transport. I was talking about if cities don't get public transport right, what happens is people then spend too long in traffic, which they don't like, which means they tend to work closer to home if they can, which means people, often women, who may have high skills from both their profession and their training, let's just say a lawyer, for example, might choose to work in a career that doesn't utilise her skills, Mm -hmm. but it's close to home because it suits the family-work-life balance. And so won't commit the 60 minutes into the CBD of a major city like Sydney. So there's a huge economic impact where if you don't provide good transport, you don't get the best workers coming to the city. Yeah. Because even if they want that money, it just isn't practical. It's two hours out of their day, which they can't manage with childcare.
1: And it drives down efficiencies and drives down innovation because the scientist with the great idea can't work at the
0: great laboratory because it's too far away. And Yeah. yeah, And, I mean, it is one of those things that's difficult to quantify, but you think that the sort of decision makers could just discuss it as generally as we have now and see that there are going to be clear advantages of bringing the best people into the hubs where the work is, if the work is in those hubs, obviously.
1: Or well, not just commuting workers for jobs. Um, you know, you could argue that, you know, the great chef can't get the fresh fish from the fish markets in time and so you sort of drive down innovation in that kind of industry or it's got huge flow and effects.
0: The great chef can't actually commute to the nearest jetty to actually catch the fish freshly caught. Yeah, so it's as fresh as possibly it can be from not paddock to plate. What do you call it when it's from ocean to. <laughs> <laughs>
1: seafood basket. I think you mean ocean to basket.
0: Oh, right. Or sea to seafood basket.
1: That's. Uh, was it In and Out Burger in um, LA? They have a policy of all their food is cooked to water and all their ingredients are sourced from within 100 kilometres. Really? Yeah.
0: If it's not 100 kilometres, it's something very similar to. Or 90%. So, American oh. Franchise Takeaway restaurant is basically applying the same principles that many left-leaning, sustainable, focused people have towards whatever diet, be it veganism yeah. or whatever. Yeah. The whole idea of basically reducing transport time, carbon emissions, that sort of thing. That's pretty surprising. Mm. I'm impressed.
1: I've never had one, but I know that in and out is where most celebrities go between the Oscars and the Vanity Fair party. Why am I surprised that you know something yeah, like that? Yeah, like uh, that particular it's detail. true. And often you see them at the Vanity Fair party with their bag of In-N-Out burger having it. Because the Oscars show you're sitting in a seat for like 10 hours or five hours. It's not like, um, is it the Vanity Fair where you, there's a sit-down dinner?
0: I think the Golden Globes are sit-down Golden as well. Globes. Sorry, that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Golden and Globes that's sit-down. why they're more irreverent because they serve alcohol, yeah. they serve food. It's a round table so you can talk to someone next to you. Yeah. You, you can't you talk. Get, and you get up and move around and say- Yeah. You can see a friend. You can give dab to people. and So Brad Pitt can go and dab towards Matt Damon, for example. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Still just a big Hollywood kiss-ass thing anyway, but anyway.
0: No, but we digress. It's In-N-Out Burger, by the way, whilst we're digressing. I've got a feeling I know that from a Tarantino film, but I think what I know is actually Jack Rabbit Slims or something else that is a fictional version of In-N-Out Burger.
1: That's that Hawaiian burger joint, isn't it? You're thinking of that one.
0: Jack Rabbit Slims is a legitimate place. No,
1: it's not. It's not?
0: They built one after the movie, but it was actually fictional and designed for the movie by Tarantino.
1: Oh, okay. That's a cool place to go. Yeah. Right. Sorry. The burger place where Brad, or is it Brad or Brett? I never knew. Oh, Brett. Brett, where Brett gets his breakfast before Jules and Vincent come around to collect the cargo. Big Kahuna Burger, I think is the name of it. I don't know if that's a legitimate place or not.
0: Well, at the start of the film, they talk about the menu of McDonald's in Amsterdam. the Netherlands. Yeah. yeah. So, that's clearly about McDonald's. But when they go and pick up Brett before shooting- Sorry, they, they go and
1: shoot Brett before
0: collecting Marcellus' stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, when they go and pick up Brett and he's having the burger, yeah. I'm pretty sure they name the burger joint, don't they?
1: Yeah, Big Kahuna Burger.
0: Oh, so that's actually the name yeah. of the franchise. And
1: and Jules says, that's that Hawaiian burger joint, isn't it? Ah. Uh, and then he says- good Oh Good memory. Hamburgers, cheeseburgers, the cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast.
0: When he bites into that burger and has that shake, yeah. every time I see that film, <laughs> I want exactly that meal. Yeah. Even though it looks like it's the most typical basic burger. Mm. Like, it doesn't appear to be any lettuce. It's just cheese and meat on white bread. Yeah, it's a cheeseburger. Yeah. The yep. way he eats it yeah. and, and has that shake and really saves uh, it. Ah, no, it's Sprite. Oh, it's Sprite. Yeah, 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 that's right. Which is kind of weird to say a Sprite because it's just Sprite. yeah. It's like post mixed sprite, too. And he drinks it right down to the bottom, which was where all the
1: buddy backwash and everything is, you know? So it's. Ah. Uh-huh. I think it shows that he's sort of hardcore and just doesn't care. And puts his lips all over the sprite. I think that's an important message you're sending to Brett. Not only have I drunken your sprite to the very dregs, you're in big trouble now.
0: Well, I think by taking someone's. Drink, you don't know, mm. and using their straw, mm-hmm. it's pretty much the effect of like pissing, a dog pissing on a corner, yeah. where basically you're saying, I don't care about your germs, yeah. and I'm going to put my lips over this straw. Is it almost homoerotic? I think so. And make it mine. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I think we just found a whole new theory, a new entryway into pulp fiction, which I'm sure will be taught at film studies departments at universities around the world for years to come. Well, back to public transport. What peeves you off the most about public transport and i'm asking this specifically about sydney's public transport like trains and buses and ferries but i've got a funny feeling that it's going to pretty much apply to any city
1: i don't think they can get the design of buses right buses have been noisy jerky poorly designed there's too much wasted space it's too hard to get in and out of seats I don't know why they can't get buses right.
0: Well, trains often have a good design where they're designed for people to be standing up a lot and particularly those lighter trains or Mm. trams Mm. where the seats are often facing in towards the carriage. Mm. So, there's more standing room, less sitting room.
1: Why don't they make buses like that and just have a whole bunch of people standing down the middle of them?
0: That's a good point. Why don't they make the doors on buses bigger so people get on and off, people can exit Mm -hmm. and enter much faster like trains?
1: Why are they so noisy?
0: Why can't you make a hybrid bus? Did you see- Musk, has Musk made hybrid buses? No, but he's made an electric, not a pickup, an electric, what do you call it? Those long trucks. Semi-trailer. Oh, yeah? An electric semi and looks spectacular and is quite amazing. It's designed a certain way for aerodynamics, but it also has electric engines, so it's more efficient overall anyway. Theoretically, that can power a semi-trailer. Yeah. It could easily power a regular car. I think in some cities around Australia, like Adelaide and Canberra, they're already using electric buses. I'm not sure it makes them quieter. Depends, I guess, on the buses.
1: Is- I mean, I live near the main road, so I hear a lot of buses and they are very noisy. I think the problem is- and Why do they all come at once? <laughs> why do you wait? I mean, it's a it's a classic saying, right?
0: Totally. Totally. Yeah. You, yeah. You,
1: know, you, sit, you wait half an hour and then you get three at
0: once. The easiest way to fix public transport for buses is to give dedicated bus lanes as much as possible. Yeah. If you don't, you just have buses in the same traffic as everyone else, which defeats the entire point. Like, Let people be on the bus and move faster. But also, if you see bus lanes and you see buses whiz past you, actually, there's a cascading effect where people go, oh, that bus lane's empty. Buses are cruising past me in my car as I'm sitting here in peak hour, bumper Mm. to bumper.
1: I should get the bus next time. Totally. I agree. Because nothing worse, because I walk to work every day, the one day that I choose to get the bus because I'm running late and I think it'll be quicker or it's raining or I'm tired or I've got a big bag to carry and you get on it, you see these people who... We're walking where you were walking half an hour ago and they're, like, in front of the bus 20 minutes later. It's, like, so frustrating.
0: That's the bus version of when you change lanes in traffic and yeah. car. Oh. And you see the same cars creep past you that you overtook earlier. Exactly. So frustrating. Yeah,
1: yeah. I overtook that guy 20 minutes ago on the freeway. I risk losing my licence to overtake that guy and now he's ahead of me.
0: What do you think of those long buses with the rubbery bit in the middle, that snake round corners? I, I like
1: them. I like them because it's just one bus as opposed to two, and I think they're good. We should have more of them.
0: I've got a feeling that they're probably more efficient because I would have thought one one engine, not two. And one driver, not two. Yeah, like maybe one and a half times the efficiency of one, but less than the efficiency of two.
1: Yeah, I think they're good. Don't work everywhere. I mean, our roads are nice and wide, I suppose. It wouldn't work in London or something like that. It gets stuck up on the curb, but- I don't get the train as much and I don't get the train in peak hour like a lot of my colleagues do. And Sydney is particularly susceptible to huge flow-on effects of one incident. So, a broken down train on one train line can affect at nine o'clock in the morning can still be affecting everything at peak hour that afternoon. I don't know how you can avoid that happening.
0: So, what happens next? How do we solve public transport? You've suggested maybe more like longer buses. I mentioned having perhaps wider doors to try and speed up the entry and exit.
1: Building houses and medium to high density accommodation near train lines, I think is important. Not build car parks at train stations so much as, I mean, that's handy as well to encourage people to get the train, but have that as well as people who can actually live nearby so they can walk to the train, which solves two problems. It solves the congestion on the roads
0: twice. I think that that's a great idea. I think they're actually doing that quite a bit already. I know in Sydney, for example, there's been huge developments like at St. Leonard's, and they're going to build basically over a kilometre of train line around Redfern Central. I don't actually think their motivation for doing that is always about putting people close to public transport, although that's actually a fantastic benefit. I think one of the reasons why it happens is because the land is cheaper.
1: Yeah, people don't want to live next to the train line.
0: Yeah, and the the developers can actually get plans to have – twenty story buildings up only near a train line because there aren't any residents and single dwelling, low rise houses nearby to complain. Yeah. And
1: you don't necessarily need to put car parks in for those people because they might not have they might not have a need
0: for a car or yeah. Which means less disruption, more room for units and apartments, more residents, developers happy, governments happy, people in the apartments are happy until they hear the
1: sounds of the train. As much as we're spending on new trains and, and metro lines for people to go from Circular Quay to race Racecourse, because that's where everyone wants to go when they arrive at Circular Quay, you have to wonder how, how much they're spending in comparison on tollways. Like, there's an extraordinary amount of tollway construction going on. Oh, it's
0: moment. bullshit. I think the sweet spot for public transport, like what happens next if I was the transport yeah. minister, this whole idea of selling of public utilities is insane. The things that I think they should sell, are things that a minority of people use and the things that you shouldn't sell are things that most people use. So an example would be public transport and roads. Why the hell would you sell it to the private sector who then can increase the price later on despite various contractual stipulations Mm -hmm. about some sort of slow rate of price inflation? It doesn't matter. It's always faster than how it would inflate More organically, the government owned it. And the government can control that price rise anyway by offsetting the cost through some other savings or efficiency. Mm. So, first of all, roads and bridges and anything that people use, like most people use, should not be sold to private sector, in my opinion. However, I don't have a problem if, for example, they want to sell stadiums. And the reason why is because I guesstimate that probably 5% of the population go to see sporting events.
1: Oh, no, I agree. I agree.
0: So, why not sell that to the private sector? That 5%, still regulate it so that 5% aren't penalised, but if there is going to be that private sector price creep that goes hand in hand with selling off public utilities, let 5% wear it, not like 95
1: And those stadiums are used by sporting bodies who don't pay tax.
0: Exactly. It's like certain private schools. the who, same Who, as who, who don't
1: fund- Indirectly, the construction of the stadiums on which they display their goods or perform their business or yeah. provide their services.
0: I'm glad to hear you say that because you're a sporting guy and I do enjoy attending sporting fixtures. But you attend a lot and are a member of occasionally. I'll stadiums. let you come with me. Very occasionally, very occasionally. The fact that you, as a sporting guy, acknowledges that that's not an unreasonable compromise to make probably says something because you're a diehard, you're a tragic, you're a sports lover. Yeah, but you acknowledge just statistically that, you know.
1: But I also don't like crowds and I don't like public transport, so I don't go to as many sporting (laughs) events as I I should.
0: I think that trams are the secret sauce though because trams to me are these electricity... If, you, if we move towards solar, that's sustainable. Mm. They're light in terms of infrastructure, so you can actually put them on existing roads opposed to digging brand new tunnels.
1: And they're sort of hop on, hop off.
0: Yeah, which meets your idea about congestion and easy access. Yeah, and you're, easy not, you're
1: not parking or getting a bus to the station walking up a flight of stairs down an escalator onto one of 12 platforms and then working out where you're going and the whole schmozzle through turnstiles
0: and what They're the best of buses yep. and the best of trains combined. yeah. yeah. Without yep. the cons. Yeah. Like, look at the cities around the world, like Portugal, San Francisco, Melbourne, for example, that are heavily dependent on trams, light rail. And it just works. Mm-hmm. And people like it. People don't complain. People yeah. complain about buses. Yeah. They complain about heavy trains. Yeah. But whatever you've got a tram system
1: tra- or a light in, rail the trams in melbourne i find very confusing but they seem to work quite well
0: yeah perhaps it's a case of orientating yourself as mm. a local and getting to know the rhythm yeah and obviously it depends if the city is flat in the first place i mean i would prefer yeah. i think a subway or underground like london and new york is also fantastic too
1: but that's a particularly congested city
0: yeah which is so why you've got to have those underground to get move quickly.
1: There's too many buildings above the ground. There's no room for a tram
0: in London or New York. Too many traffic lights every corner. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I agree. Trams are good if you've got the space and provided that they're put on routes where people actually
0: want to go. Well, while we're on a bit of a roll when solving the problems of public transport, how would you revolutionise airline travel? If you were king for a day, what happens next? What would you do if you owned an airline or you were a department head of airlines? (laughs) There's
1: not much more you can do. They've tried it all. They've tried to speed things up. They've tried to make things more lightweight to save fuel to lower prices. To cut the the waiting time before and after flights, the baggage coming out more quickly, you know, better food on planes, user pay system for in-flight entertainment, user pay system for food and drinks and that kind of thing. I just don't know that there's much more you can do. I mean, the main thing is the check-in, the security, but I don't know how much say the airlines have in the security. It's more the queuing to get your ticket, queuing to drop your bag off, queuing to get your bag checked as you go through. Then you're stuck in a food court an airport for an hour sometimes two i just find them just debilitating and then from that you then go to a gate way before you need to and then you wait around with people who you're about to spend the next up to 14 17 hours with in a very confined space so let's just let's just hang around a bit more before we need to for a half an hour 45 minutes before we get to board then there's this mad rush to board for some reason which i can never understand
0: I never understand why the if people if rush I've, on and make a 17-hour journey, 17 hours and 15 minutes. If
1: I'm not the last person on the plane, I'm, I'm upset with myself. Like, I'll just sit there. I'll read a book. I'll go to the toilet again. And I can understand if you've got little kids and you want to get them settled and get them why you would want to rush up, actually stand in a queue to then get through the check-in thing at the gate. Totally. Then wait on the air bridge and then wait in your seat and watch everyone come on for the next, sometimes half an hour. Like- It's incredible.
0: To play devil's advocate, though, I think one reason why people want to rush on is to try and secure overhead luggage space because it seems to be that – That seems to be the new thing. There's space for often two to two and a half bags for three seats. And so, I've been onto a plane the last third of the queue and routinely found myself having to put my bag elsewhere. And And that's very frustrating when you're trying to get off and you can't get to your bag. Or you're just concerned about security. Like, you've got your laptop in your little roller bag and you don't want to leave it across the aisle and to- Halfway down the plane. Yeah, and and sleep comfortably.
1: Yeah, I could never understand that though. Like, the- I'm not a last minute to the airport guy. I'm happy to get there early enough so I can have something to drink, look around the shops. I'm happy to do that. But in terms of sitting at McDonald's in the food court for an hour and then sitting at the gate with everyone for another 45 minutes and then sitting on the plane for 45 minutes before it takes off, the waiting on the plane before it takes off, I think is probably the worst part of plane travel before you back away from the... If you've got some huge long taxi and then you wait at the end of the runway for ages for flights to take off, that's just the worst.
0: Well... With airlines, you've always had the tension between safety checks with this huge industrial aircraft and then the desire for people to board quickly, get off quickly, et cetera. Obviously, with security being so intense for the last 17 years, since 9-11, it's even worse. I wonder what would have happened had 9-11 not happened and the way the world would move with apps and iPhones and a general frictionless experience, mm. like I can tap my watch, I can walk out all day, and we discussed this last time with my watch and no phone in theory, mm-hmm. and I can catch an Uber, I can eat, I can buy stuff, mm. I can take phone calls, mm. send basic text messages, check email, etc. with just my watch. Now, they've already made it easier at airlines by having you print off not print off actually, just have your app on your phone and scan your, what do you call those things? The QR code yep. on your phone app. O- online
1: check-in and then so you just get to the airport and just bag drop. Or if but imagine if
0: and- there wasn't eleven and so this increase in security hadn't occurred. I can't help but feel we'd have moved to a much more frictionless experience where they would have decreased security, yeah. if anything. They probably would have merged a few of those various stops that exist along the way. yeah. And then you'd probably be taking more liquids on planes, which means there's less time spent having to be delayed here and there. It would have resonated in a way where I've got a funny feeling the time taken not flying would be half of what it is.
1: I still don't see there to be a need for you to get to the airport as early as they want you there.
0: Isn't it like most laws and regulations, though, that they're always aimed at 10%? So with speeding rules, for example, 90% of people comply with speeding Hmm. laws. Yeah, and even if you, there wasn't a rule, most people would drive at a speed that's safe enough. But ten percent would always be too stupid, and so basically, you always have a rule, a law, a policy for the minority of idiots. Yeah, which we all have to then kind of. I felt a bit bad. To. I
1: was dropping my golf clubs off off of the heavy baggage the other week on a flight for the weekend, and um, you were that guy. I was that guy, but I'd already checked them in, so I had a ticket for the bags, and I was just you just got to drop them at the heavy baggage carousel.
0: But did you delay the departure?
1: No, no, but there was a, an elderly couple there who had some huge wheelchair. T- no, no, they had some huge taped up look like frame photographs or something. I think they hadn't realized that you had to go to the checking counter first to get your ticket for your heavy baggage, and then you go with the ticket and your heavy baggage to the heavy baggage area and drop it off.
0: So rather than tell them, you just smile smugly to
1: yourself. And the heavy baggage attendant was saying, no, you've got to go to the counter and get a ticket for these and then bring them back. And they were going, but we're going to miss our flight. We're going to miss our flight. We're going to miss our flight. And, was like, and I was just like, yeah, there's not much you can do in that situation if you don't know the way things are done. Yeah. Then you're cutting it a bit fine anyway. I think you're probably right. You could rock up to the airport, swipe your smartwatch out to check in, Stroll through with your carry-on without aerosols or whatever in the back and walk down to the gate and get on the plane. I don't see- Why do you
0: need two hours to do that? If you watch any movie from the 80s, there's regularly a scene, including Die Hard, where a cop could carry a gun onto the plane. And at the start of Die Hard, the passenger of Bruce Willis sees his gun and he just sort of says, it's a okay, i a cop. I can't even recall if he, like, flashes his security like his actual cop badge. Mm, mm. Clearly- Something that'd be quite easy to fake. Yeah. Back in the day, besides smoking on planes and all sorts of other shenanigans. Yeah, you could do it. The idea you can take a gun onto a plane, Get yeah. alone, what, more than 100 mils of water. Yeah, yeah. Or a tube of toothpaste or something. Totally, totally. I've always felt a bit of conflict in relation to those carry-on rules. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts because you're a pretty frequent plane traveller. I get annoyed by it because they have these rules where you can't carry on certain things. But then they totally contradict it by allowing other things. So I can't take anything sharp onto the plane. I get that. But then you serve me with a metal knife and fork. Now, after 9 11 happened, they deliberately served plastic knives and forks to everyone. And then for whatever weird reason, they changed that policy, even though the reasons for the policy hadn't changed. Mm. Yeah. And so, I don't know why that happened? When that terrorist attack happens, they actually used. Didn't they use. Actual cutlery from the plane. I could uh, be wrong. Stanley knife was box cutter. Yeah. 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 But for example, like a fork could be used in a pretty dangerous way. Right. So I can't take on this, this, and this, but then you serve that, that, and that. So I I think with the liquids is that they just can't control, they can't
1: test with the machines
0: what's in the liquid. I think that's the issue. Look, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I think it's the best compromise. But it does feel like a massive compromise. It's annoying when you go to an airport like some airports in Thailand, some international
1: airports in Thailand I've been to, where the airlines can't control the goods that go into the airport shops themselves. If you go through security, you check in and wait in the food court of the airport and you buy a bottle of water and then you take that to the gate, you've got to go to a separate security thing at the gate and you've got to get rid of everything that you bought in the
0: airport. That happened to me in Abu Dhabi. It's very and I was annoying. totally surprised because my entire experience up until then had always been: mm. if I bought something in the airport, yeah, after the security check, yeah, I could take that on to the plane.
1: Because you want to—that's when you want to get like a big bottle of water so you can just stay hydrated on the flight, yeah. some chips or chocolate, a bit of something to nibble on, and then yeah, you get to the gate and they're like, no, nah, you got to jettison all that because we can't control the quality control of what gets sold in the airport, which is kind of a bit sad. But what yeah. gives
0: me the shits? Even more than that though, is okay, fine, I can understand the reasoning for that. But then I expect the airline to provide a large bottle of water per person. Yeah. On the 17-hour flight to Australia. Like you can't have both ways. You can't I'm doing the right thing. I've gone past security initially at check-in. I then spent a ludicrous amount of money on just plain tap water. Yeah. Which I'm annoyed to do, but okay, I have to. Yeah. And now you're saying I've got to pour all that out. And you won't provide any chilled water on the plane or a bottle of water to compensate for that. Yeah, BS. That's annoying. Branson'd be all over it though. Totally. I mean, it's really funny if you look at what Elon Musk is doing with space travel. If he turned his mind to plane travel, he'd be all over it. Totally. Like he would totally he would revolutionise it. But I think from his point of view, there's no intellectual challenge or opportunity for legacy or. Uh, Inspirational change that actually makes a massive difference to our humanity by simply just mixing it up with airline food.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. With more Elon Musk in the world, things are going to change in a dramatic fashion.
0: And I'd prefer Elon Musk to swing for the fences, fail four times out of five, but knowing that the one time in five, he succeeds. Like many entrepreneurs who have many failures before their success, yeah. the success will be so fundamental and huge. It'll be like the Wright brothers and planes. It'll be something that actually moves the needle and changes. The only reason I'm concerned is because that poor bastard is up against it, that in the current political environment, he's struggling to try and fight against this whole new enthusiasm, oddly, for fossil fuels. Coal. Yeah. Clean, coal. Clean, yeah. coal. Clean coal. Clean coal. Yeah. So, But I think that people are getting on board enough with electric cars that will hopefully continue. And I think by doing things like the Mars, call it a stunt, call it a sincere effort. If that has a like a ripple effect, where the halo of that helps sell the cars, we'll go, "I am going to buy a car from the guy that sent a convertible to Mars." Yeah, if that's just good marketing that drives sustainable fuels. Yeah, genius. Yeah, great move.
1: Yeah, what's not to like?
0: So, final words on how you mate would solve public transport? I think easier access. Make sure that
1: they're in places where people want to go. Build housing nearby. Look at renewable
0: energies to
1: drive the bastards.
0: Public transport governments around the world. You heard it first from Phil, from Choc, the man with the answers. Mate, I think we'll call it a night. Sounds good, mate. Let's do it again next week. Now, ordinarily, I'd say at the end of this episode, where can people find you on the interwebs on social media? But you know the answer they can't so you can find me i'm ben phelps on youtube instagram and twitter reach out if you want to discuss this episode have a yak and please share it with your mates if you think that these two jokers myself and shock have something worthy to say all right mate until next time peace see you mate.